basically, this week's show, a couple of weeks ago, well, about two or three weeks ago now, we did a 9-11 conspiracy show, and me and Lee was talking about all of the, you know, when you look online, you see all these conspiracies, were there real planes, did the towers, was it controlled demolition, all this kind of stuff about the 9-11 conspiracy theories building seven the pentagon was it a missile all that kind of stuff so we discussed all of that on that show and we put it up it ended up on youtube as well as like all of the podcast places that you can get any of your podcasts from and this guy called adam fitzgerald gave us some feedback he replied and this this guy's like an encyclopedia of 9-11 and I didn't expect to (laughs) get the attention of anybody this fucking knowledgeable on the topic and um, he comes from New York and he basically just very politely dismantled all of the points that we spoke about and some of them we thought well he hasn't touched that so you know maybe we can get in with that one and maybe make make our points a little bit more aggressively next time if we can get him on so I said to Lee I'm going to contact him and get him on so he agreed to come on so he's on this week and we're going to re-talk about everything that we spoke about but with somebody that actually has done research (laughs) because me and Lee just do what everyone does and just google a bit and look at some YouTube videos and then make a decision ah, that, that YouTube video says that that was a hologram so that's a hologram and all that sort of stuff so that's basically what me and Lee have been doing so now this guy comes on and he's like actually you know there doesn't seem to be anything he doesn't know about 9-11 so he's on this week and hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation it's a bit long longer than usual but you can't cut it short if you haven't had your questions answered and we still didn't get them. I mean this guy's going to be on a few times there's so many things that he seems to know that I've never even heard about interesting stuff if you've got any feedback for us it's all on the Twitter Matt Chat Podcast ah, sorry at Matt Chat Podcast or at Matt Gooner that either one doesn't make any difference they'll come to me and if you want to say anything to Lee conspiracy Lee it's uh, at jabs underscore Lee on the Twitter. Right. And thanks. And hopefully you'll enjoy Adam Fitzgerald. And this week we've got Conspiracy Lee, as usual. Right, Lee? <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> and we have Adam Fitzgerald. Adam is the co-host of a podcast called The Darkened Hour. And he commented on one of our, on our 9-11 show with lots of counterpoints to stuff that we were saying. And me and Lee found it really interesting because generally there's just arguments and rudeness that goes on underneath this kind of thing. And he was very uh, polite and well-mannered and made a lot of sense in what he was saying so we thought we've got to get him on so we got him on and he's here hiya adam 
Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Thank you for having me, really. No problem. Right, so some of the stuff, if, I don't know if anybody's read what Adam wrote that's listening, but basically he went for a point, point to point of things that we discussed, which me and Lee are absolutely no experts at any of this. No. We just can't. Like, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> we're just like power off stuff that you hear over the last 20 years that people kind of, no one ever seems to debate this in any kind of a friendly way. So it's always like, you're a, you're a fucking idiot if you don't believe this, or you're an idiot if you do believe this, and all this kind of stuff. So we don't want to do any of that. We just want to kind of like dr drill down a little bit and yeah. see kind of like, are these silly theories? Is there any kind of merit to anything anybody says or what? So the first thing that, that you was talking about was the insurance policy taken out on the, on the towers. So what, what, did you, what did you say about that, Lee? Um, about Silverstein, he basically yeah. um, took insurance out on his on the twin towers before nine eleven happened of a terrorist attack, and he got like four point five billion. Adam, was it? That's right, four point yeah. five five billion. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like until Adam's point, I didn't actually know that he actually actually like relinquished a lot of that money to build like uh, the new tower. So. That basically smashed my theory <laughs> out the window of, of like, yeah, he's, he's earning out of this, blah, 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 and all this, until, until Adam the expert comes on and uh, <laughs> blows me out of the water. <laughs> so, Ad Adam, Adam, yes. where, did you, where do you believe all of this? It, it, because what you said, if, if that's true, what you said, which I'm not, I've no reason to doubt that that's true. I don't know anything. I didn't even know about the insurance policy until Lee mentioned it the other day. But... Um, <laughs> What do you think when you see the kind of stuff that people say about that that looks suspicious or anything like that? Well, it does, actually. But the suspicion is actually warranted to a point. Um, when when somebody says that Larry Silverstein, uh, along with other insurers, took out an insurance policy of terrorism, um, they don't realize that there was a terrorist plot that happened eight years prior, which was the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Now, if you're... Mm insuring a building and you're purchasing a building from the Port Authority, which was a 99-year lease, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Larry Silverstein's lawyers uh, probably uh, told him that, you know, we're also going to uh, have terrorism in policy, what insurance for the building. Um, for those who don't know anything about the 93 bombing, yeah, this may seem suspicious. But um, the people who purport this conspiracy saying that, oh, you know, Lewis, Silverstein uh, was just alone and he's the one who rented the building. Well, Larry Silverstein actually gave a portion of money. The, the, major, the majority of the insurance came from another insurer called Westfield America Incorporated. And they're the ones who had won the building for the leasing of Building 1, 2, 4, and 5 World Trade Center. And that, that's approximately about 425,000 square feet. And they barely won the contract. In fact, the, the competing contract was won by Swiss Rent Assurance. They're the ones who actually won, but they pulled out and the competing insurers, which was Silverstein and Westfield, won the contract. And the contract was for 99 years. And they won the contract on July 24, 2001. And so in the contract, the, the agreement was that Silverstein and Westfield America Incorporated had the right and the obligation to rebuild the structures if they were ever destroyed by an act of terrorism. 
Sorry, just to, just to interrupt. So, so how how long was that ongoing for? Then you said they won the contract in. Did you just say July two thousand one? Yeah, well, the, the the lease was finalized on July twenty fourth two thousand one, but the the bidding began in the beginning of the year. Right. And okay. It happened throughout the, the the you know the next six seven months. Yeah. Uh, because there was competing agencies for the renting of the World Trade Center. And the problem was, was that uh, the Port Authority wanted a 99-year lease. And some of these uh, insurers wanted a less 50 years, 45 years, but they didn't want to go 99. But um, there were two leasers uh, competing for that. And that was Swiss Rent Assurance and uh, Larry Silverstein and Westfield America. Mm. So does he, does, he not, does he still own the lease now as he pulled out? Yes, but he had to relinquish some of the property rights because when wow. after after the attacks, Silverstein went to the New York uh, appellate courts and asked for double the insurance, claiming that the two towers were two separate terrorist attacks. Yeah, and, he, but, and what he wanted was seven point one billion. Yeah, and then on May third, two thousand four, the appellate court said um, that it happened as one occurrence, one interpretation, meaning one act of terrorism. Mm. And he, he he actually appealed that decision, but he yeah. lost the appeal. But he was awarded four point five billion, um, which was four billion more than what they put in. You know, he mm. didn't put in that much. What happened was this is where the misconception begins: is that people think, well, he only put in a couple of million, and he got four point five billion. Well, this is where I uh, wrote an article on Medium about Silverstein actually losing money because. When he got that $4.5 billion, he actually took every single penny of that into the restructure of the World Trade Center. Mm. And because he had to pay for the lease as well, he had to remember, he has to continue to pay for the $102 million annual lease, the base rent, as well as the rebuilding of the towers. Mm. So what happened was, was that in the end, uh, the reconstruction cost of the World Trade Center cost $7 billion. So he lost property rights for one World Trade Center. One World Trade Center, the big tower, is not under yeah. Silverstein's name. Okay. So that's where he lost money. Yeah. Now, this so is, now if, yeah. if I may interrupt just for a second, yeah. this is not. This is also. I'm not in defense of Silverstein here. I'm, I want to make sure that this is not to say that he may have gotten a call a week or months prior and said, "Don't be at the World Trade Center because we think a terrorist attack is going to happen." Because he's actually good friends with um, Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah. And I could get into that later, but that could that could be another show. I was I was looking at some of your I was looking at some of your stuff, Adam, and, and some of the, the the goings on around the whole event and stuff. And I thought there's about twenty five shows here. But we we just got to deal with this, deal with this one today because uh, this is this is what what me and Lee come across a lot, and this is this is why I wanted to do this was we thought doing a nine eleven show would because all you hear on social media and stuff is all these theories and all this other stuff. So it's like in a way you kind of want to either squash it or is there any validity to anything people are saying? And if we kind of drill down into it a little bit, we'll people listening will will kind of potentially understand things a little bit more or be satisfied with because there's never really been anybody come out and say people seem to think they're they're more clever by agreeing with anything they read online do you know what i mean yeah so it's like 
I've, I've I've watched a YouTube video, so therefore I'm now an authority on this, and that's kind of like what that people's attitude. So I wanted to kind of like just do away with that if I can, at the best. But the second point, so with, with the insurance thing, you're happy with that, Lee? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you don't you're not yeah. suspicious of that. Not not in a way, but like as Adam said, he's like not to say that Silverstein got a call to say don't be at the tra- World Trade Centers at this time. But what what gets me is is like. Um, like the, for me, I just think the whole that the whole event is is very suspicious in regards well, to an, an we'll, ulterior motive. But we'll we'll get we'll, to that. We'll probably get to that. So the yeah. second point you you what you took against was the the planes yeah. uh, crashed. All all of the four planes crashed into the supposed targets, and they found the black boxes for flight ninety three, and the data recorder for seventy seven, and passenger remains. Now, this one is probably going to be quite a big one because I've never really seen it. Like when you look at other crashes through the years, when you look at, at similar crashes, when they've crashed into the ground or whatever, there's huge remains everywhere. And with the, the Shanksville crash, there was really nothing to be seen. Fragments, right? Am I right or have I completely missed something? No, I think your suspicions are warranted again, but then you have to also take into an effect that every single crash is not similar in its properties. Uh, You have to take in effect um, the speeds of the crash in which each plane is made. Uh, What what kind of object did the the plane crash into? Um, What was the size of the plane of each plane? Everybody looks at their general plane crash and think, oh, this is how plane crashes should be looking like. Well, I'll give you an example. There was a couple of years ago, there was a plane called German Wings 8989, which was a plane that crashed into the Andes Mountains. Now, this plane plane actually crashed into a mountainside, and it left very little visible plane debris. The only, the biggest uh, part of the plane actually that was found was uh, the fuselage and one tire. They didn't find any of the black boxes. They didn't find any of the... uh, the engines that were in the plane. Now, with with the World Trade Center and with the Pentagon and with Shanksville, each of these planes were going over well over the uh, the, the speed limit. With the speed limit is 563 miles an hour for an Airbus uh, 367-200, and the Flight 93 went 500. I mean, 500 and um, no, I'm sorry. It was like 613 miles an hour. And with, with Flight 93, incidentally, they found more of that plane than the plane at the Pentagon and the World Trade Center. Because with the World Trade Center, the plane crashed into a, a solid structure. With the, the Flight 77 that crashed into the Pentagon, it crashed into a solid structure. Mm. Flight 93 crashed right into the ground, dirt ground. So all the all now it nosedived into the ground at a um, 180-degree angle. So that means it, it crashed nose first. So yeah. all, the, the, all the plane, actually, it's like a can. You take a soda can, you crash it from top to bottom, and what you'll see is a flat can at the bottom looks like the top. So all the plane of Flight 93 just went right into the ground. They found the fuselage of the plane in the woods nearby. The, the, the ground was actually an old reclaimed strip mine that used to exist there. So the ground, I think, was like 30 to 40, 
I'm sorry, it was 15 feet deep. And they found one of the engines there. They found another engine. Um, I think it was half a mile away. Um, there was, uh, they found the flight data recorder. They found the cockpit voice recorder. Now, that was important because that's the only cockpit voice recorder that actually survived all the crashes. So even though that the, the plane actually blew up into millions of pieces because it actually was like a bomb because the plane is fully loaded with, with kerosene because it was supposed to be a cross-country flight. Um, yes, they did find plane debris, but the plane debris was very small. So that's why there's a lot of conspiracy regarding it. Well, look, they didn't find human bodies. They didn't find luggage. They didn't find uh, parts of the plane. All that is untrue. They actually found DNA and human remains for all the passengers, all 45 of the passengers and crew. And that was collected by the Somerset uh, County Coroner Wallace Miller, who's often misquoted at times. Saying, "Oh, we didn't find, you know, we didn't, we didn't see a drop of blood." Well, yeah, that would be right. You're not going to find blood at a at a site where the plane exploded and fully loaded into the ground at 500, uh, 613 miles an hour. Mm. Uh, was it they, was it true, Adam, that they found the black box at like 25 feet in the ground? The the, the cockpit and the voice the, the flight data recorder were found. Uh, yeah. In within that vicinity of the crash, yeah, the hole but, is made by the nose of the plane, and of course you see the dents of the of the wings. But all all the 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 the, the field the debris field was very long. It was like two and a half miles. Even though that in itself is exaggerated, the conspiracy theorists like to say it was eight miles long. But that's yeah. only if you're going by the road. But mm. according to the debris field, it's two and a half miles. Yeah. See, because the, the the thing with like with Shanksville is like I've been I've been researching other plane crashes. Like you've explained a couple, like the Lockerbie the Lockerbie plane crash right. uh, in Scotland. I don't know if you remember that one. Yes, I do. Um, that was actually exploded by uh, exploded by a bomb that was on right. board the plane. Um, but when you see that crash, you see like you see the like the cockpit and everything. You see massive parts and uh, like. Taking what you've said, is yes, there's different types of plane crashes. But also, do you remember the Colt American crash in Poland? Yes, I do. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. No, no, that's not familiar with me. Yeah. Basically, like that plane went nose first as well. It, it just, it like, basically, the it, it went into stall and went uh, nose diving into a creek in Poland. And with that one as well, I found, uh, didn't find that one strange, but as an example towards plane crashes, there was a lot of uh, massive parts of debris in the right. ground and other things. So it's it's just it's strange that with these crashes that there's a lot of uh, like people saying, oh yeah, much of the plane like disintegrated and things like that. So it it just puzzles me a little bit when you see examples of other plane crashes. Right now, if I could just answer that, Lee, for you, yeah. is that. Those planes weren't uh, piloted by people who were actually wanting to crash the plane. Yeah. So with Lockerbie, actually, the bomb exploded in midair, and the yeah. plane went into a million, like a, a large millions of pieces, and it didn't nosedive into the ground at you yeah. know 600 miles an hour. Mm. So you, you have to just have to take that into effect as well. Yeah. Th these planes actually were were piloted by people who actually wanted to crash the plane. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. 
So are you happy with that, Lee? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The Shanksville one. So, I mean, it is, uh, to me, it's very, very strange. But but then again, I don't look into it. You see, you see this stuff, you think that is a bit weird, but I'm no playing crash expert. And, you know, when people were saying there's no, (laughs) when people were saying there's no bodies and there's no this, I'm thinking, shit, what's going on here? Did that even happen? Surely there is. Yeah. if, if I may add, gentlemen, is that yep. I'm, not, I'm not agreeing with the official narrative here. No, no. There, there, yeah. is, a, there is a conspiracy. And it's the, the biggest conspiracy of 9-11 may have just been with Flight 93. Yeah. And, um, you know, I could, I could get into that in a later podcast or. I, I, yeah. I would I would disagree because I think the Pentagon is the weirdest thing yeah, out of, this, out of this whole story. Sure. Like, can you have, have you got an explanation? Because I've never heard one that's that satisfied me as to why there is no footage of any plane at the Pentagon. Sure, um, there's just like there's no footage of of the the Titanic sinking. But why do we believe the Titanic sunk? It's because you have eyewitness accounts of people who were actually there. Well, there was 145 people that actually testified that there was a plane crashing into the building. Mm, but, there, but, there, but there's probably two million people that have seen the Loch Ness monster. Sure, right. But there, there again with Flight 93, plane debris that was found inside the building as well. They found the the, uh, the flight data recorder. They found actually the, the fuselage that was uh, landing in uh, B, between A and C Drive of the Pentagon. They found wheels of the Pentagon. They found the human remains of the passengers of of uh, Flight 77. So they found all, and that, that's the biggest, in fact, that's the biggest investigation in Washington, D.C. history, is when Flight 77 crashed into the Pentagon. Now, your, your suspicions are warranted, because why isn't the Pentagon outfitted with a million cameras? Yeah. And why couldn't we this, see yeah, this is the a plane crashing Now, that may reasonably be true. This is the thing now. There were two cameras located on the security uh the security, um, the security console, which is east of the building. Now, it's not going to catch a plane going 565 miles an hour in one fell swoop. Um, so there's no clear picture of a plane crashing into the building. All we see is a blur, and it crashes into the, you see the explosion that, you know, encapsulates the whole building. But, um, yeah, there is no clear cut camera, or maybe there is, and that the government doesn't want to release it so that the conspiracy is is that no plane crash into the Pentagon, which mm. is still believed to the very day. Yeah. See, because, because I, I watched I watched a video earlier on today and I've watched it yesterday. I've watched it many times over the years. And I've tried to slow it down. I even got my wife to watch it. I said, please tell me you see a plane. Like, is there a plane going into that building? She said, you see like a white thing at the, at the uh, start of the frame. And then just the explosion. And I, I just think to myself, it's like the Pentagon is one of the most protected buildings in the USA, like second probably from the White House. And the, the amount of cameras that they've got on that building um, and obviously declassifying 9-11 a few years ago with the audio uh, audio stuff of the passengers and stuff like that. Surely they they they've got to declassify that as well. And and if they have got other footage, they might they've got to show it just to shut people up who think it's a missile. Do you know what I mean? Because it's sure. like like because a lot of people do think it's a missile 
oh, sure. some sort of rocket sure. or something. Yeah. If, if I may add to that, Lee, for you, is yeah. that the conspiracy is that uh, the conspiracy surrounding the Pentagon happened very early. In fact, the very first uh, conspiracy that ever exists in 9-11 uh, for trutherdom is in 2002. Yeah. A, French author, a French author by the name of Thierry Mason wrote a book called Le Pentgate. And yeah. he, actually, he actually asserts that a missile impacted the Pentagon. As for mm. the, the amount of cameras at the Pentagon, that's classified. Nobody actually knows about that. But yeah. where, where the plane crashed, there wouldn't be um, cameras facing down on just the west wall. In fact, it, no. there's, a, there's a parking lot, and then there's that grass field. And people say, well, there's no markings on the glass field. That's not true either. In fact, there's, there's photographs that are close by of the damage itself. And you can see cars burnt out and the hole itself is not 16 feet. That's what Thierry Mason asserts. So the hole is really small. That's, yeah. the, hole, that's the hole that you see between A and C drive. That's, the, that's where the nose cone actually, well, the, the explosion happened through there. And that's where all the fuselage is laying. You know, you have the, the wheel is laying there as well. Um, they yeah. found parts of the nose cone. Actually, investigators actually found part of the nose cone uh, right by there. But the hole, the entry hole before the facade collapses is 144 feet wide. And that's not indication of a missile or any type of like torpedo attack of some sort or bomb yeah. attack. The, the, the hole is 144, 141 feet wide and also, too, how would a missile knock down five light poles? And there's also um, a generator nearby on the west of the building, and it has like a clipping damage made from the wing itself before it impacted the building. And also, yeah. too, there's no eyewitness account of, of a missile impacting the building. Everybody that was in the vicinity of the Pentagon said that it was a large plane that crashed into the building. Hmm. On, oh, sorry, Lee. On that, Adam... Sure. Um, so that was a hell of a pilot then, wasn't it? Yeah, it would be. For, for a bloke that's just, just done like a two-week crash course in on a <laughs> simulator that we're supposed to believe, is that would that not be a bit suspicious to you that this guy can, can get a direct hit like that on the Pentagon, that low, and, at that and, speed? Right, and there you have it. There's the conspiracy, right? Mm. Was Hani Hanjo really the pilot? And if, if like, the, the big conspiracy is that it wasn't a plane. And if you don't have a hijacked plane, you don't have hijackers. If you don't have hijackers, you don't have the intelligence apparatuses monitoring them for the last three years. If you don't have the intelligence apparatuses following the hijackers, who do you blame, right? Mm. So if there's no hijackers, there's no plane, there's no calls, there's no intelligence apparatuses, you're left with nothing. And this is the message I try to bring to people who don't believe in any planes or don't believe in hijackers is that it's in you may I don't believe from from my perspective I don't believe Hani Hanjo flew that plane now I don't discount the planes could have been remotely controlled that's something I I don't uh don't know I believe that's the yeah. difference right by, I can't, by I, who I can't by who Adam get that, but that's the thing by who in fact the the conspiracy surrounding that is that it was um uh, from Dov Zakheim, and he's in control of, I forgot the name of the company that's, um, um, that he's part owner, and that uh, they, they deal with uh, remote control pi or remote piloting uh, mechanism that could have been for all the flights itself, yeah. not just Flight 77. 
But mm. if that was the case, why, what was the story behind Flight 93? Because Flight 93 crashed into the ground. Why didn't it crash into the U.S. Capitol or the White mm. House? For that example. But I don't, I don't discount remote control um, hijacking of the planes. I don't. Mm. See, I was, I, was watching, I was watching a video. It was, it was quite, a, quite a while ago now. A do- little documentary about these. Uh, it was a couple of experienced airline pilots, and I was talking about the Pentagon, uh, the plane going into the Pentagon. They were saying that for someone to fly that low at that speed would take like a lot of experience and a lot of skill, because like like you said, Adam, it's like the, the lamppost knocked over, like you get lampposts knocked over and things like that. See. No one ever, no one ever tells you that. So when you don't know that, you just think, yeah, it's, it's it's a missile. But when you hear of lampposts getting knocked over and that, you you start to think, yeah, well, it could be a plane. But I, I just wish that there was like a clearer, a clearer like picture. Not not that I want to see a plane crashing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No. It's like I just I want to see for myself that it was it was definitely hundred percent a plane. Like, I'm not discrediting what you're saying. But, right, wouldn't that wouldn't that also be a problem for any event that didn't have video video evidence? Yeah, yeah. Right. Course, yeah. We so we, we can only go by what the people who were there and what they actually experienced. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like you could say that when you when you mentioned the uh, Titanic and that earlier on, I would be suspicious if sudden if the Titanic was 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 going to be followed uh, by a, a series of other ships filming it. And then they said, "Sorry, there's no footage of it going down." Then that would that would arise some kind of suspicion, wouldn't it? It's, Hang on, what's going on here? Why has nobody seen it going down? Mm. Whereas you'd expect that it's the expectation. You would, you, you, everybody's already seen these planes going into the towers, and then you're told that there is absolutely no footage from anywhere of a plane going into the Pentagon, like not from any bystanders, not from any CCTV on any local businesses, nothing other than anecdotal evidence. See, if it was today, everyone would be with, with their, with their smartphones filming it. Yeah. Exactly. Right, yeah. for sure. Well, that, yeah. that's the thing about Flight 77, is that the only people that were expecting, that had warning of a plane, was that the Pentagon officials, which um, always exerted that the Pentagon was always a, um, a target for, for uh, terrorism attacks. Mm. But at the time, when Flight 11 and 175 crashed into the World Trade Center. The warnings actually went out to the Pentagon just minutes prior to Flight 77 crashing into the to the structure. And there are people inside the building that actually um, didn't see the plane crash into the building, but that were burned horribly. In fact, one of the one of the um, one person was called Lieutenant Colonel Brian Birdwell, who was a lieutenant colonel for the Navy. Yeah. He actually he actually was just 50, 50 feet away from the impact of the oh. nose into the building, and he was actually watching um, in a room with other colleagues of his of the World Trade Center's burning. He actually had to go to the bathroom, and because he did this, he actually went to the bathroom. As soon as he came out, the plane crashed into the building and killed everybody that was inside that room. Birdwell actually managed to survive because he actually fell. And because he fell, and because where he was was where the wing damage was, and that's yeah. where the fuel is. 
he he actually had 65 degree burnt all over his body. He managed to crawl out, and they they actually picked him up. And when they picked him up, they when they picked him up, his skin started coming off his hands, his arms, and his legs. Oh. But he managed to survive, and he said yeah. that, and he relayed his story still to this day. So that's that's another reason why you could dispel missile and you know know it was a plane. Um, mm. That there were people who actually were burned alive, and that they actually were dragged out by the first responders that were there. Would yeah. would you would Adam would you concede? that there must be some footage somewhere of that plane, whether it be from the public or a business or something like that. And for some reason, they're being told to, that, that you can't go public with it. Well, it's funny that you mention that, is that years ago, there was a, a freedom of information request from um, the victim's families regarding video footage of Washington and New York. And FBI, there's an FBI agent named Jacqueline McGuire and she wrote the, the McGuire Declaration Act, and she got 83 videotapes that were collected by the FBI released to the public. Most of them um, were in Washington, and they were coming from businesses, personal uh, cameras that were outside, but none of them filmed a uh, plane crashing into the structure because the cameras weren't pointing up. They were pointing at, there's one camera at a hotel called Doubletree, and they yeah. were, you know, that's a camera view of the um, the parking lot of their hotel. And there's one called um, Sitco Gas Station. And the Sitco cameras were facing toward where the um, the parking lot inside the store is by the door. And they're not going to catch a plane. But I would submit to you that there, there very well could be cameras that captured the plane into the building. But they didn't release. And this is now, of course, I'm just going to say this is speculation on my part. I don't think that they would release those cameras because the conspiracy of no plane hitting the Pentagon benefits the the State Department and the CIA uh, from you looking into who actually funded those hijackers of that plane. Mm. And I could get into that in a later podcast if you want. Oh, that's that's one of my favorite subjects. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because just of, just it, quickly, give it, give us a couple of minutes explanation. You can't leave it like that, Adam. No, no, that's fine. I, I could. Yeah. Um, there's two hijackers named Khalid al-Midar and Nawaf al-Hazmi, and they were Saudi al-Qaeda operatives. And mm. for, since 1999, the CIA became aware of these people, and they started monitoring them in Yemen, in Saudi Arabia. And in the year 2000, they were followed by... Malaysian authorities in the CIA at this high-level Al-Qaeda summit meeting called the 2000 Al-Qaeda Malaysia summit meeting. And that's where they were filmed uh, with Khalid, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Ramzi bin al-Sheib, um, and other, uh, um, another hijacker by the name of Hambali, um, whose real name is Ridwin Isamuddin. So there's high-level Al-Qaeda meeting there. And they didn't share this information with anybody, really, but they shared a little bit with the NSA and the, the FBI. In the year 2000, they, from the Malaysia summit meeting, they went into the United States. The CIA knew this, and they didn't share the, with the FBI that, the, that they were inside the United States. They landed in January of 2000 at Los Angeles, and they stood there for the next three weeks. And from there, they met with two Saudi operatives, and these were two Saudi high-level operatives within the intelligence arm of the General Intelligence Directorate. 
and these two guys were Omar Al-Bayoumi and Osama Basnan. And they funded these two guys, Khalid Al-Midar, Nawaf Hamzi. They rented an apartment for them. They got them a car. And the CIA knew this. And the FBI, if they, they told that information to the FBI, the FBI could have put right away an investigation into those two people because they were involved with the 2001 um, the 2000 attack on the USS Cole, and they were also involved with the 1998 USS, uh, U.S. East Embassy bombing. Mm. So right away, these two people were not monitored by the FBI or by any State Department officials. And so for the next year and a half, they were inside the United States, unaware by the FBI or the State Department, and they participated in the Flight 77 uh, attack on the Pentagon. And that's the direct connection, the financial connection of Saudi Arabia, the CIA, and the 9-11 attacks. If you don't have the hijackers of those planes, if you don't believe in planes, you don't believe in hijackers, that means that the CIA and the Saudi General Intelligence Directorate are not affiliated with the 9-11 attacks. Because ah. who, who can you blame? Right. So that's why that conspiracy of no planes actually absolved convenient right very convenient and right, because yeah. and because the fbi because of that there's no camera footage that conspiracy scenario of oh there's there's a missile or there's a or bombs are planted inside the building automatically dispels the notion of a plane actually impacted the building and by doing that you actually absolve the cia and the saudis from the connection it's a 9-11 attacks. So, Adam, do, do you think, like, these attacks could have been prevented? Like, yeah. with, with, with the intelligence that the, the American authorities had on these uh, hijackers, do you think it could have been prevented? And if so, why didn't they, why, in your opinion, why did they, they not prevent it? I, I think they could have prevented some of it, and that's coming yeah. from numerous intelligence officials that came out later. Mm. I, in, I interviewed uh, a former FBI agent by the name of Mark Rossini on my podcast, The Darkened Hour, me and yeah. Richard Cox. We, inter we interviewed him. Mark Rossini was a part of uh, an intelligence apparatus called Alex Station. Now, yeah. Alex, Alex Station was a virtual reality station uh, headed by the CIA and that had three... Three, three officials from the FBI that were there, Mark Rossini, Doug Miller, and Margaret, Gille and, um, Margaret Gillespie. I'm sorry. Um, oh, I forgot the name of the other official. You'll have to excuse me there. That's um, all right. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think his name was Ed, Ed something, or Ed Getz, Ed Getz, I believe. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm butchering his name. But anyway, we interviewed Mark Rossini, and he says that the CIA actually knew about the hijackers, had information about... Khalid al-Midar and Nawaf al-Hamzi, but kept it hidden from the FBI so the FBI wouldn't detain them or arrest them inside yeah. the United States. Now, you could say that the CIA protected the hijackers and wanted the attacks to happen because what came from the attacks itself was far more nefarious than the attacks on 9-11 itself because we yeah. saw the war. We saw the war with Iraq, Afghanistan, the implementation of the Patriot Act, um, the NSA, the TSA um, as a security apparatus for all the airplanes in, in the country. That's speculation itself, but it's warranted because 
the CIA, if they shared all the information with the FBI, we could have prevented at least, the very least, the attack on the Pentagon and probably part of the attack at, at the World Trade Center. I can't mm -hmm. say that that could be them for sure, but coming from Mark Rossini and coming from the, the, the terrorist czar, Richard Clark, they all believe that, yes, part of the attacks could have happened. And that's also a conspiracy unto itself because a lot of people don't realize that there were more planes that were supposed to be hijacked on 9-11. Yeah. Not many people know about that. No. See, the more, the more I look into it, the more questions arise. Right. Yeah. Like with 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 nine eleven, there's never going to be like an end to it. There's always a question after a question. You, you get the answer, but then you get the question. You get the answer. You get the question. But with the hijackers, Adam, it brings me to obviously the World Trade Centers and and the apparent conspiracy into the uh, controlled demolition right. of the World Trade Center. Now, I've seen like photos and things like that of. Like beams like cut at an angle, just like demolition companies cut beams, like with thermite bands and dynamite. Um, now, I, I shared a did I share shared a photo with you earlier, Matt? With with the uh, yeah yeah yeah. So it shows an example of of on the site of the World Trade Center of one of the beams. It was cut at an angle. And it was very, very exactly the same as what a demolition team would do. Now, it was explained that these beams were, were cut by a thermite band. What's your theory on that? Um, this is something that I stood away from. Um, yeah. When I, I don't have an opinion about how the towers came down because my opinion would be unfounded. I'm not mm. a physics expert. I'm not yeah. even a layman. So I don't know how the towers came down. Yeah, it, it, See, would, it, would, it, it would not surprise me though if it did yeah. come down from pre-planted mm. explosives or. It, See, it, the it reason why down. I say that, Adam, is because you right. like when you talk about like the CIA and the uh, Saudi operatives and things like that, right. is is like the conspiracy into how the towers went down. If they was all in on it and things, and it could have been prevented, and why didn't they prevent it? Right. Now, one theory that a guy come come out with how the towers come down is momentum and speed so basically like so on the north tower 15 floors were damaged right like so you've got the bit that wasn't damaged and the, where the plane went into the 15 floors above was damaged and his theory is how the towers come down is basically the weight of the damaged section hit each floor and each floor buckled and broke because of obviously the beams are that hot that they buckled and it gradually brought the towers down like a demolition. So this is where it comes from. Oh, it, it was a demo job. Do you get what I mean? Right. I, yeah. th I think, I think you're repeating the, the works of David Chandler. I think um, so. Yeah. He's, he's, right. he's like a site is a, is a like scientific chemist. Like he's a scientist. Well, David, David Chandler was the, the preeminent voice of the 9-11 truth movement. Back yeah. in 2000, back in 2006 and 8, between those years, um, mm. he he actually did a presentation regarding how the North and South Towers actually came down from yeah. planted explosives in the building. Um, yeah. and we I managed to interview him for my podcast, and okay. we let, we let him describe um, what he feels could have um, his explanation of how the towers actually came down. I myself 
um, can't give you a, a, a workable opinion because it would be opinion based on ignorance. I don't know yeah, anything. Yeah. I don't. I don't know anything about physics. Same and, here. Uh, <laughs> <right>. Yeah, <laughs> and as I was saying, an opinion based on ignorance—that's me and you, isn't it, Lee? Yeah, yeah. That's definitely. all our opinions. <laughs> we don't know anything about this stuff. We're just le- we're learning as we go. Right. Well, yeah. I'm gonna have to. We've 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 been doing forty minutes, and we've done two points. Yeah. So I got a bit of move on a little. Nine eleven is a it's a very it's a very ex- complex and very broad uh, uh, discussion. It's not yeah. as easy as people make it out to be. No, I, no. I, I, we could... I, I wish it did. Go on, Lee. What was you going to say? Uh, no, I was saying we 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 could do so many so many episodes on this. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So what was it? So we. I've got down here for point five. I've just jotted some stuff down here. So we was talking about the wing. We were saying in the videos the the way the wing sliced into the building and would that be yeah. possible? And you've and you've come back with that it went through, which obviously we didn't consider. It's just the cladding on the outside and the wings yeah. kind of like. So I don't know whether to just skip that one through. Do you want to say anything about that, Adam? No, yeah, the simplicity of is that a lot of people think that all the the wings actually went through steel actually the way the way the world trade center was structured is that they had steel beams and in front of the steel beams was this uh aluminum cladding mm. and that's where you see the damage of the wings by the yeah. aluminum cladding so yeah they so, were steel so then the the next point you've come up with was that we was did we say that people had said they didn't see any planes was that was one of the points we must forget the podcast now Lee. yeah did you I say think- that yeah, I think you like um, it was what, like one of the things we said in in the podcast that people didn't actually hear or see right. see the planes or something. I've seen some of Adam's videos on his YouTube of the some of the witnesses and stuff, and yeah. um, so I think this is just another another point to kind of just be dismissed because it's gonna people are always gonna say, well, I saw this person, they said they didn't, they was there and they didn't see any planes, and then there'll be five that did and five that didn't, and it's yeah. just. So we go straight on to this, this suggestion of CGI, okay? So, Adam, you said earlier on, I don't know if it was on the podcast or, or beforehand, that you, you actually watched a plane hit the building from Queens, right? That's right. So you saw a plane? We saw, we saw the explosion from the plane. So did you wow. see a plane coming in? We couldn't. From that, from that vantage point, no, we couldn't. We saw the explosion, though. Right. We're too far because... Flight 175 is actually coming from the Jersey side, so yeah. we could we can't we can't see the the plane because the the buildings were in the in the view of where the plane was coming from. Okay. Okay. So what but do you are, what do you say what do you say to these when you see videos when they they've got like the under kind of the undercarriage thing of the plane and they say this is different to what this would have looked like and this looks a bit sketchy and all this kind of stuff. What would you say to that? Well, that's uh, yeah, I've heard about the pod underneath the plane, and the plane was actually darker. Well, yeah, United Airlines planes are, are gray and dark blue. Um, the problem, the problem with that is, is that um, the people there are videos of people from the Jersey Pier that actually have clear view of the plane crashing right into the uh, the structure. And at that point, when Flight 11 actually crashed, not many people saw Flight 11 crashing to the first building. Because who else is going to look up and see a plane? But by that time, everybody in downtown Madden, including Jersey, are all looking up and seeing the, yeah. the smoke coming yeah. out and filming it. And then you have like, you know, over like 20, I think it's 27 videos 
um, that you know see a plane crashing into the the uh, the uh, South Tower. How many how many videos of the first plane? There was a one. Wasn't that one with the fireman doing the the video thing? Yeah, that's the Jules Nordet video. But that's yes. not the actual. Yeah, a lot of people uh, actually think that's the only video. There's another video, and I have it. It's on YouTube, I believe, of a guy who's on the Brooklyn Brooklyn. Um, I want to say the Brooklyn Bridge. He's right by the tunnel. And he's actually filming uh, Lower Manhattan because he's a tourist. And he actually ca- he manages to capture the plane entering a- entering into the North Tower. And, and it's really quick. It's like two seconds. Right. It's, not a, it's not like a clear video, the North Dev video. But he actually ima- manages to capture the plane into the tower. So there's two videos that are public, uh, public knowledge of Flight 11 crashing in North Tower. Lee? Uh, no, I, I, I totally agree. Like I said to, I, t- I said in the last uh, 9-11 podcast, but I, I, I believe thoroughly that planes went into the twin towers. Whether they, whether, like like Adam said earlier on, uh, hijacked or remote controlled or done by any other way, I believe that planes went into the twin towers because. Like I know we've come we've come far in technology, but to CGI something like that is pretty astronomical, and it's pretty like amazing if they could do that. It is kind of ridiculous when you actually discuss it. It is kind of ridiculous because there would have to be so many people involved in that lie, yeah, for it to have any credibility. Exactly, but you can get. You can get carried away when you YouTube things and you can, and one video leads to another, to another, to another. And you can see more and more actually that, you know, you start convincing yourself an hour and a half later when you've watched 3000 videos that this is a computer in the sky. And it was actually a missile with a a plane built around it afterwards and all this Mm. kind of stuff. It's because people are looking for something that's not there. Do you know what I mean? That's what conspiracy is. It's like that they're looking for more than what is actually happening. And this is this is coming from Conspiracy Lee. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you see in the light today. So the next point, the next point, the next point we were speaking about, we mentioned loose change. Now that's been like fairly thoroughly discredited through the years. A lot of what they've said on there, and I've seen I've seen the guys that made that in actual um, debates with, I believe it was Mark Roberts uh, and other guys like that, and they didn't look particularly convincing when when their when their theories are being questioned so anything to say about loose change there adam yeah loose change unfortunately is the most popular documentary in 9-11 circles and it's going to be the most popular documentary of all time relating to the 9-11 attacks but it's also the most one of the most erroneous now they they managed to do i think three revisions of it or four yeah um but the gist of their uh, message is that oh no plane hit the Pentagon and um, the planes actually landed at um, Westover Mer- uh, Westover Military Airport, which is uh, a reserve base in Massachusetts. Where where they came up with that claim is based on speculation on their part, but they don't tell you that, and that's mm-hmm. the difference between somebody who's a responsible journalist and an irresponsible journalist. I mean it's it's fine it's fine to speculate as to what could have happened. But make sure that you relate that message to the audience or else they're going to take you on face value and believe you. And what they do is that those people then tell others and then, you know, that repeat it repeats the process and repeats the conspiracy. And that's yeah. a problem because 
there are people like myself who try to educate other people, but I think it's rather time consuming and it's almost um, an, an act against time. And the odds are that, you know, there's millions of people who believe in the most fanatical conspiracy theories. Not to say that there are actual conspiracy theories surrounding 9 11, there's plenty, but mm. that these fantastical conspiracies have completely blanketed the the rational conspiracy surrounding 9 11. And that's the problem. That's the problem with loose change is that they probably they, they most likely distanced themselves. I know Jason Burma says, yeah. I don't think I don't think he's more. You know, I, I think he changed his mind regarding Flight 77. But I don't I don't know about that with Corey Rowe and um, Dylan Avery. So I don't I don't bother with them. And I, I, I used to really critique them, but I don't do it anymore because no. there are there are far more bigger names who have really like abuse the the, the responsible yeah. nature of 9-11. So I, don't, I, really, I really don't have much to say in a way of loose change anymore. I, I looked at when the first time I see it, I just dismissed it in my own head because to me it was insane what they were suggesting. Um, and then I kind of started to think, oh, maybe there's something in some of this. It is a bit suspicious with the Pentagon and all that other stuff. But then I read uh, there was a loose change, basically a guide to loose change online debunking it. And I read through the, all the points in it, and I just thought, uh, I don't know. And then I, I think in one of their later their later editions, they took out about the what you said about the passengers being dropped off elsewhere and all that other stuff. So I don't know. I don't even know what to think about that. What was we talking <laughs> about? So the phone calls, right? We're getting to the phone calls now from the planes. So I wasn't aware. Like I've I've seen what pe- people are saying. You can't make the phone calls from X amount of wherever high they were at the time and all this other stuff. And you've said that they was using the, the phones that were on board, which I wasn't even aware of, to be honest. I've never seen anything like that. But the weirdest thing, like you said, you said that Mark Bingham would introduce himself, even to his mother as hello, it's Mark Bingham. That's just the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Very strange. Yeah. Do you not think that's strange, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. But um, his mother actually gave an interview to History Channel. They did a documentary about 9-11 itself. And she's actually on there saying that that's how he used to present himself on the phone when he was nervous. To her? Yeah, to her. And to to anyone else. Like, I think he, um, I want to say he worked for a a company out in um, San Jose, I believe. Um, I can't. I, I don't remember the name of the company that he used to work for, but um, he was he was a business associate for this company, and when he used to call his mother, he used to say, "Hello, mother. This is Mark Bingham." Because he would actually say that to his business associates on the phone. Hello, this is Mark Bingham of so and so company. So, but he had he had he had a problem with anxiety. So then, whenever he got nervous, he would try to calm himself down by saying that, "Hello, I'm Mark Bingham." And blah blah blah. And he used to address his mother this way. Yeah, I think I'd have a yeah. problem with anxiety if I was getting hijacked. At the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you know, there's a lot of phone calls based upon Flight 93, where the phone calls were confused, like they were confused. They didn't know what was happening because most of those people, like Mark Bingham, they were sitting in um, business class. They weren't in first class, so they couldn't see what was going on. The only the only information they were getting were from the flight attendants who were saying, I think there's a hijacking going on. And you yourself, when you're on a plane, you know, you have the comfort of saying that 
before 9-11, there weren't many hijackings going on in the United States nah. since the very mid-70s mid and early 80s. So by that time, you know, you, don't, you won't believe what was happening around you. And shock comes from in, in many forms. There's people who are laughing. There's people who are crying, hysterical. Or there's people who are just relatively calm. Mm. And a lot of these phone calls from 93, it showed that these people were relatively calm and confused. They didn't know what was happening. And But the reason why these phone calls are so important, the phone calls, especially for Flight 93, contradict the official narrative purported by the FBI in the 9-11 Commission. And this is the reason why that, that conspiracy of no planes actually absolves the FBI, the CIA, Israel Mossad, and the Saudi General Intelligence Director from the 9-11 attacks is because mm. the phone calls that were made from these planes, for example, in Flight 93, there were six phone calls that were made to loved ones, people who actually received them. Every single one of those calls said that there were three hijackers on that plane. What did the FBI and the 9-11 Commission say? How many hijackers were on board that plane? Do you know? No. Four. So. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like... Right. So they're saying that there's three hijackers. Now, the real conspiracy is, is that there, was a hi there were two hijackers in the cockpit and one outside the door. And that guy had a bomb belt. Now, this is the only, this is the only hijacker who's supposed to be having a bomb belt. So mm. if there's two hijackers, now we know for a fact there were two people in the cockpit and one outside the door. But yet the FBI and the 9-11 Commission said there were four hijackers. That's why they leave that conspiracy out there because it contradicts the real conspiracy that there were three hijackers in that plane. Yeah. Weren't the 9-11 um, the uh, investigation done behind closed doors? And they had all sorts of um, like top officials um, giving evidence, like George Bush. Apparently, they, they indicted they indict George Bush, but he, um, he managed to get out of it. Well, what happened was, was that there were certain interviews by the 9-11 Commission yeah. that were remained from the public. And these interviews were by three people. One, George Bush and Dick Cheney together. Yeah. Two, Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, who was interviewed by the 9-11 Commission in Afghanistan. And yeah. three, three was Thomas Drake of the NSA. None of these interviews are made public. And yeah. the reason was is because it's simple. The NSA was, was monitoring this place called Ahmed al-Hada, the al-Qaeda Yemen hub, where yeah. all the phone calls around the world by Al-Qaeda were, were directing their calls to. The NSA yeah. had a bug inside that house. And so the audio, and they, were, they bugged that house for five years, since 1996 to 2001, okay? That, those recordings are classified. That's why the interview with Thomas Drake is classified. You can't listen to that. It's not in the 9-11 Commission report, and it's not available for public view. Yeah. But Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Shaper was in, was a part of Able Danger. Able Danger was a defense intelligence apparatus um, and defense intelligence agency apparatus that was monitoring in, in uh, uh, terrorist cells that were abroad inside the United States. Able Danger managed to find three terrorist yeah. uh, cells inside the United two inside the United States. Their information was classified. In fact, their information was destroyed on orders 
from uh, U.S. Army lawyers saying oh, okay. that you're not allowed to interview, you're not allowed to monitor um, U.S. citizens because Muhammad Atta, Zia Jara, and Marwan Al Shay were considered U.S. citizens by the army. But, okay. but, but what contradicted that was that they weren't legally uh, citizens. They were here on temp visas. So that yeah. means they weren't really visas. That means the the information that was collected by Able Danger should have been kept and we could have looked at it, you know, the public itself, but they were ordered destroyed. Awesome. George George Bush and Dick Cheney, don't get me started. They knew what was happening before 9-11 happened. I think they had intelligence that contradicted uh, the official ad of themselves. That's the reason why you're not allowed to hear it publicly. Yeah, because like the reason why I say about George Bush as well is because like when when nine eleven happened, right. there was a video footage of him at a school, right. and it looks as though to me like a secret service agent whispered something in his ear, basically telling telling him about nine eleven, and he completely like just gave a straight face like he knew it was happening. Right. Or he was, show, or he's like a deer in headlights. Yeah, um, <laughs> that, and, that, and that's the reason why he's in Florida and not in the United, States, not in Washington. Yeah. And when they tried, when they when he tried to come back, he actually had to sign a waiver by the Secret Service because the Secret Service actually didn't want him back to Washington because they felt that Washington was a hot spot because a plane actually crashed into the Pentagon. But yeah. George Bush, Bush, George Bush was adamant about returning. So he actually was managing to fly around the United States for a long period of time. And the conspiracy is that Dick Cheney was in charge and not George Bush. And, yeah. you know, there was a phone on board one world on um, the 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 uh, the plane that he was using, um, Air Force One. And yeah. sometimes when he was trying to talk to Cheney, the call was cut out. Oh, okay. So he, he was actually um, the conspiracy, which which could be valid. Was that yeah. they didn't want him? Well, they didn't want him back because he wasn't a part of the operation itself, or he was unaware. Mm. He may he may have known that there was an attack coming because yes, there was numerous intelligence reports saying that hey, there's uh, an Al Qaeda attack that's going to happen inside the United States, but it wasn't very um, direct. It, you know, yeah. it's very vague, so they didn't know mm. what buildings were attacked and what who. So. Yeah. So, uh, are you saying that you you believe that they were aware of what was going to happen and didn't do anything to stop it? I th well, for sure. I mean, this is recorded. This is for public record. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. They was they was warned that that would could potentially yeah. happen. But are, are you are you saying that they was aware on that day that that was going to happen, or or some of them were aware? I'll be very careful to say that I believe, through speculation, I believe right. certain certain people knew what was going to happen that day. Maybe, but that's totally my my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Why why do why would you why would you believe that they wanted it to happen? Because of what followed afterwards. What followed okay. after nine eleven okay. was more um, important. Uh, than Lee loves Lee loves what followed afterwards, didn't you, Lee? Yeah. We'll, we'll, definitely do, we'll definitely do another show on that because I've got, I've yeah. got over an hour already. Right, so um, the next point was the passports, right? Uh, Adam Fitzgerald, you are not seriously trying to tell me <laughs> that you believe 
that there's a possibility after everything that's been described when we said about planes disintegrating on mud and shit like this, yeah, that, that there's a possible way that a full tank of petrol or gas or whatever you call it over there smash into a building, plane explodes, building collapses on plane, passport survives. Please tell me no. Isn't that surreal? <laughs> no. Yeah. Now, this, this is something that I, I, would, I might concede. Now, there, there's, there's also many conspiracies regarding, oh, they found a passport for Satan Masaskami, Khalid Al-Midar at the, at the Pentagon, but it was badly damaged. Satan Masaskami's passport um, basically looked brand new, but it, it did suffer a little bit of damage. But um, it was founded by some passerbyer. That passerbyer gave it to a cop, and that cop gave it to the FBI. Now, I'll concede to you, that's highly suspicious. Mm. The, now, now, if you believe that that passport is planted, there's a problem with that. There's one small problem. Satam al-Saskambi is from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. On the passport, it suggests that he's from Saudi Arabia. If you believe that that passport is planted, it was made to show, hey, these hijackers were from you know, Iraq and Afghanistan because we went to war with Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Why did the passport say he's from Iraq or Afghanistan? That's the only problem. Although I don't discount that that passport could have been planted. Mm. However, it would it would mean it would remain strange to me if that was planted by an intelligence official. Say, why wouldn't they make that direction connect him to say, hey, look, this hijacker came from Iraq? Because for ye- for months, for weeks and months that have happened from 9/11. The State Department was trying to implore Richard Clark to make that connection and say that, hey, we need to show that these people were from Iraq because we want to make we want because that's where we're going to war. We want to go to war with Iraq. So everything, everything you're saying, everything you're saying makes perfect sense and why it wouldn't make sense to plant that passport. It must have been planted. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It surely would be an impossibility for that passport, a paper passport, to survive that. Well, I, I would agree with you. I, I find it, like I said, I find it very surreal that it managed. But however, on Flight 93, they did manage to find ID cards to a couple of the uh, passengers on board Flight 93. One of them was C.C. Oh, Lyle. Again. Why would an ID card survive and bones don't? Uh, paper. I mean, oh, well, they found they found bone. They found back fragments. Frag- yeah, fragments. But um, we're talking about a solid, inanimate object as opposed to a paper object that could survive yeah. out of an explosion through through the through the the kinetic energy of the plane. I I I, I will concede though that Satama Siskami's passport. Could have been planted. Could have been. Yeah. See, to me, all these these attacks, it's like like we obviously we're going to go on to another show with with what happened after. But all these attacks, going by the intelligence and information that's out there, is like everything points to Saudi Arabia and Israel, and nothing points to Afghanistan and Iraq. That's right. It's 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 so strange. It's it's like somebody coming up to you, punching you in the face. Then you going up to a complete stranger who has nothing to do with it and punching them in the face. Does that make sense? It's like, 
it's it's just absolutely crazy that like these like Saudi Arabia and Israel are involved in it, which I'm not doubting. I I I, I think again, it's another show. We'll go into that yeah. another show. There's <laughs> such a big such a big topic. We just yeah. could, we could do like 85 hours of this. But yeah. um, I ain't got 85. Well, maybe I have. I'm on lockdown. Who knows? But... <laughs> yeah, we're all on lockdown. <laughs> so I think the next one was, I think we're going to have to, I think with the passports, we're going to have to just all agree that was weird. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the the black boxes, is there anything you want to say about them, Lee? Or have we already covered that, do you think? I think we covered that. It's like, um, I've done a lot of research on black boxes and like they're they're not indestructible there there are there are cases where black boxes there's like like adam said 31 cases black boxes weren't found but um it's it's just i find it hard to believe that out of the 9-11 event i, I think only one black box was recovered is that right adam yeah the cockpit voice recorder for flight 93 yeah and the others wasn't which is 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 like to me is is very suspicious because doesn't that, that sorry Lee, doesn't that right, no, feel no. a bit weird though as, as well because earlier on Adam you said that that plane had gone nose first straight down into the ground and that was that was the explanation for why everything was so tiny yet the black box survived in the cockpit all of them yes well the black box is actually situated in towel of the plane what is the black box because it's the because they when when a plane crash happens, it obviously they 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 always like go going by science that a plane would always crash nose first. So in order to preserve the information of of that plane, like the voice recordings and everything, is the black box is is based in the towel of the plane. Is it? Yeah. So how would that be buried then? See, this is this is the thing that I'm struggling with, because it's like that's what they always say: the safest part of the plane is near the near the back, because that's where they put the black box. No, I'm not saying the black box makes everything safe. It just preserves everything. Like the, it records all the instruments on that plane, what's happening with that plane. Like if it has mechanical failure, if it has anything at all. Um, the 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 cockpit voice recordings it, it saves that as well. The basically the black box is made of uh, two components. It's made of of uh, a part which uh, records, as I said, all the uh, mechanical parts of the plane, the computerized parts and everything. So it detects any faults, and then the voice recorder that that uh, records any conversation in the cockpit. And they're both stored at the... Adam, you want to come in on this? Yeah, no. Um, there's there's a lot of conspiracies surrounding this. In fact, at the World Trade Center, it's generally known that the black boxes, neither the flight data recorders or the cockpit voice recorders survived. Mm. There's, only, there's only one instance of mm. a contradiction with this. Now, in the days after 9-11, I think it was about a week later, two first responders by the name of Mike Ballone and Nicholas DeMassey um, claimed in 2004 that they found three of the four boxes and that federal agents uh, actually took them <clears throat> and they mentioned to Ballone and DeMassey not to mention this. And the FBI, of course, denies the whole story, but it goes to show you that who knows 
who were at the controls of the planes. Now, if you believe yeah. that the planes were remote controlled and that the hijackers themselves realized that they weren't flying the plane, they could have mm. said that. And that's the reason why they wanted those black boxes destroyed. Mm. That, that in itself would be highly problematic and it would show a direct connection of, of inside job, if you want to say. I hate using that yeah. term. Yeah, that would be mm. highly suspicious. Um, so I can't tell you for sure that the black boxes were totally destroyed at the World Trade Center, but um, we don't know what happened there. And we probably won't know unless, you know, we have documentation and files that come out years and years later from the National Archives that contradict that claim. Yeah, because I don't believe, for, like, when they said they dis declassified all the audio to uh, 9-11, I, there's, there's, there's obviously a lot missing because, obviously, when they're saying that the black boxes wasn't retrieved, which, I, again, I find it quite hard because, like, black boxes, they've got a battery life of 30 days. And, um, like, they're, they're, they've got, like, uh, underwater sonar as well, like GPS, and it can it, it can uh, go to a certain depth. Um, but with in regards to the black boxes, it's like when the 911 attacks happened, like debris went for miles. Like, there's just been a new news report that they found a um, a landing gear in between two buildings in New York right. just recently, like five blocks away from the the, uh, the 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 crash site of like Twin Towers. So you could well believe that it could it could be anywhere, but surely that then black boxes have got some kind of like GPS on where they can find them. Because if they can like uh, with with flight MH the Malaysian flight the recently the recent flight that crashed into the uh, sea, do you remember that? Yes, yes. Like they was uh, they was tracking like the uh, sonar for ages, but they 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 just couldn't they couldn't find it because obviously the battery was dying. It took them it took them absolute ages to find any sort of like, wreckage. But no, but I'm just I'm just baffled with that. Like you say, it, whether they were found and they were taken by the FBI is, is a different story. We we'll, I, I suppose we'll never know. <laughs> right, your suspicions are warranted. Like. If, if they just made it up, if the Massian Balloon just made it up, um, yeah. yeah, I could believe that too. But that seems to be a little bit more peculiar because why would they lie about a black box, for example? Yeah. Um, when they can you lie just about wouldn't, would you? you? It's not something that comes into your head and you think, oh, yeah, with this lie about black boxes, this, 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 this say we found them. You just wouldn't do that, would you? In fact, you would, you would be pushing to say you did find them because it would kind of give you some sort of name if you if, you, if you're if you're like an agent or a cop you you're trying to get up in the ladder and that's something that would try, that would help you so yeah it's just, I, when it comes to when it comes to the black boxes at the world trade center i yeah. i leave i leave it up in the air because it's not definitively known yeah yeah it's mm. very strange. It is weird. I've never even thought of that. You know, if they if those planes were being remote controlled and the, and the the basically the hijackers were Nazis, and yeah. they wasn't and they were speaking sound control of this plane. Yeah, that would be a reason to lose them, wouldn't it? Yeah, because in one in one of the uh, I think it was um, flight ninety three um, 
one of they got for uh, the, the one of the hijackers who's apparently flying a plane was saying to the air traffic control, "Just be quiet, and everyone's going to be safe." Yeah, and it's like it's it's just very strange things. There's there's a lot of there's there's a lot of question marks in mm. in the whole event for me. And as as we say, like Adam, I, I think we could have you on many more times because this can go on and on and on. Sure. One that, last yeah. one last thing yeah. on this point, though. So we've got um, everything else. I think we've covered in some way. Yeah. But one thing we didn't we didn't touch on. I don't think you mentioned Building Seven. Uh, what do you think? Why did that fall down? Um, again, this is an area based on ignorance uh, when it comes to physics, but. I lived in Vegas for 10 years, and I know what demolition looks like. And I don't blame people who say that looks like demolition because, in my view, it looked like a demolition uh, job. Yeah. But I, I can't say for certain because, like I told you before about the World Trade Center, it would be my opinion would be based on ignorance. But uh, from my from my view, from my visual view, yeah, that's what that's what a demolition looks like. So, but I can't I can't say for sure. I've heard a story on Building Seven that um, that it got so that it got it got damaged that much that it was um, totally viable, like financially, <laughs> to bring it down. But if that's still the case, if they did do a controlled demolition and bring it down, like like I, I again, I'm no expert in controlled demolitions, but I don't think it they could go into a building in like a few, a couple of hours or an hour or something like this, or a few minutes and just plant loads of dynamite and bring a building down like that. From what I understand, a controlled demolition takes days to prepare. There's a famous interview by um, a Dutch demolition expert, Danny Joanko. Yeah. And, and he's, he asserts that um, it looked like a classic controlled demolition. But when yeah. the guy told when the guy told him it was done on September 11th, he showed him that video. He goes, "It's not impossible, but it would have been very hard." Yeah. And that he showed he showed the interviewer where the columns would have been exposed, and he showed him the heart of the columns. And mm. he says that they probably would have worked when the building was on fire, and that they put like shape charges there probably, and that's yeah. how they they could have compromised the cores. But he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't discount it. No, nah. I think it's very hard to discount. Building seven is not a controlled demolition. Do you know what I mean? It's like sure. it's very. It, it's tough for anyone to say, "Oh no, that got that got uh, severely damaged in the nine eleven attacks," which it probably didn't. Um, it, I, I just, I, in my, in my opinion, I think that was a controlled demolition. I think it was. It is, it was Adam, what do you think about the? I don't know if you've. Is there any merit to the theory that a, a few people have said? It's not a popular theory, or maybe not. I don't know that the the Shanksville plane was potentially heading for Building Seven. It, it would have been not. It, it would have been intercepted because at that time, that's five forty-three p.m. Um, when they came down. Now, I will submit to you if if when when. Um, 175 crashed into the South Tower. There were intercept jets in New York 11 minutes later. So it would have been hard 
for that plane to hit World Trade Center 7. Now, there's, there's conspiracies about where that plane was heading for. According to um, a phone call made by a flight attendant named Sandra Bradshaw of Flight 93, she says that one of the hijackers said that the plane is going to crash in the U.S. Capitol. Now, yeah. whether, whether that was going to happen or not, um, I don't know. But that's pretty profound because none of the other hijackers actually made their declarations about where they were going. In fact, on a Flight 11 and on um, once a Flight 11, you can hear Mohammed Atta, if it's him, yeah, um, yeah, say, that the, yeah, say yeah. that the plane is actually going back to the airport. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no declaration like that with 77 or 175. But that's pretty strange. A flight 93 was actually going to pronounce where they were going. But there was phone calls made to the resident of passengers on that plane from loved ones saying, hey, the, there was planes crashing into the World Trade Center. And that's why they revolted. And you could... The audio was the audio from the cockpit voice recorder was played to the victims' families in the Zacharias Masawi trial of 2006. That audio is not public, but the transcript is, and that's important because if you go look at the transcript, go look at go Google Flight 93 transcript. You'll notice on the bottom at the very end, there's a person sitting next to the pilot, and the person is suggest is telling him, Saeed. Up, down, up, down the plane. Saeed, up, down. Meaning mm. that the passengers were using the food cart to crash into the, to try to get into the pilot's cockpit. So the plane was going up and down and side to side to throw them off. However, yeah. however, Saeed, yes, there was a Saeed on that plane. His name was Saeed Al-Ghamdi. He's a muscle hijacker. What is he doing piloting the plane? Yeah. Who is who is supposed to be the pilot of that plane? Mm. Ziad Jara. Now, I could get into a whole um, background for you about who Ziad Jara was and his links to maybe Israeli intelligence because his uncle's name is Ali Al Jara, and Ali Al Jara was a teacher in Lebanon, and Ali Al Jara was arrested by Lebanese authorities for being a spy for Israel for 25 years. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Now, I've heard a lot of um, a lot of uh, is like a lot about Israel involved in right. in 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 a lot of things. So it's not yeah. Go on, go on, Adam. Sorry. Yeah. No, but like I said, um, with without hijackers and without Ziad Jara piloting the plane, you can't make that connection, right? Because there's mm. no connection at all. But if you take a look at just some of the profiles of these pilot hijackers, like Mohammed Atal, like Ziad Jara, you'll find that there's a lot of intelligence apparatus of their fingerprints regarding just these two guys. The muscle hijackers are nothing. They're nobodies. Don't yeah. you don't you don't have to worry. They're they're just there for one one reason and one reason alone. To make sure that nobody interferes with the pilots and yeah. the, them crashing into the, the, the planes themselves. I can get into that in another podcast for you regarding yeah, yeah. the Saudi and Israeli apparatuses of nine eleven. Yeah, definitely. That'd be that'd be good. Yeah, so I think I think that's pretty much covered everything. Just yeah. one other thing I wanted to get your opinion on. Sure. When you see when you see these these people like people like Alex Jones and people like that 
coming out with all this. Just first, whatever Alex Jones is or isn't, he's kind of the one that brings this to the fore quite a lot, this kind of thing, and kind of makes people aware of these conspiracies all the time. Do you... Is it, I'm not asking you to like trash him or anything like that, but is there, is there anything he says that you sit and think that's right, or is or is everything comes out of his mouth you think well a load of shit? If it, if it's regarding 9/11, he's spouting nonsense. Right. Um, most of the time, I I don't really care for Alex Jones. I I hate to say it, but I I loathe him more than any other individual. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I hate I, one thing I'm not into is a bit like. Um, publicly bashing people on the conspiracy side. Mm-hmm. I used to do it on Facebook when I had a Facebook account, but I deleted it because I knew what I was becoming. Um, yeah. And so now I just managed to be on myself and try to post whatever I can on, on viral media. But Alex Jones has done more damage to 9-11 than any other individual on the face of the planet. And yeah. he's been doing it for other instances like Sandy Hook or um, moon landings and other major events and um he's the re- he's the primary reason behind most of these conspiracies regarding 9-11 and because he has such a huge huge audience he caters to tens of millions of people if this guy ever told the truth about 9-11 believe me when i tell you that the state department the pentagon cia israel saudi arabia would compromise this guy from day one and he's yeah. been doing it since the mid 1990s. Mm. I think the guy's crazy. <laughs> I think he's off his nut. Well, you know, you know what? If I may interject too, yeah. the reason why he's allowed to do this, the reason why he's allowed to become so outlandish, so yeah. uh, conspiracy mindset, is so that he can upend actual careful student researchers of certain events like an 11 and to make them. Uh, in the vise of the society or public to be just as nuts as he is. Yeah. And, and that's what that's what that's what he's doing. Yeah. That's his job. That's what his job is doing. Because there yeah. are care listen, there are careful researchers of 9-11. They're not yeah. they're not they're not very pronounced as Alex Jones is, but they are out there and you just have to find them. Mm. Uh, this is the uh, I, I I think I think you've get you've enlightened both of us, Matt, hasn't he? Oh no, I knew all of this before. That's like what he said. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, of course. Yeah, been a, it's been a pleasure having you on, uh, Adam. And well, thank you, really. Ho- thank you. Hopefully, we can uh, we can do this again many times because there's lots. Just looking at some of the stuff you sent me, there's lots of talking points that I wasn't even aware were talking points. So yeah. um, I, I just don't think it would be fair on you to kind of like interview you on stuff like that when we are so completely ignorant to it. Mm. It would be kind of like we'd need to kind of brush ourselves up on it a little bit before to make any kind of sense with a conversation. Um, And that's kind of like why I've I've stayed away from it a little bit. But uh, for everything here, I mean, hopefully anybody listening that's kind of been listening to Alex Jones, this is why I brought him up, not particularly to to say what a dick he is, but um, just to kind of like get people that are just getting these snippets of information and now that we've kind of gone through every point that I can do you think there's anything I've missed Lee like no that, that I don't you, think there is hear, I think that you hear a lot that you hear a lot when people talk about 9-11 conspiracies and and just start basically having online arguments about mm. this thing and this would never happen I, 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 as far as I know I've I've got all of them yeah 
No, I again, I, I'll, I'll just say I've, I've no doubt in my mind that 9-11 happened and planes went into the World Trade Centre. I've no doubt in that. And and it, it's, it all leads on to kind of the, the reason why, if we can do a show on that, that would be Absolutely. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, and thank you for having me on and, and entertaining me for these uh, points. And I'd be more than willing to, to talk further about the why and why why did happen and why it was allowed to happen. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That I'll, I'll stop there then. Thanks for coming on, Adam, and thanks, Conspiracy Lee, as ever. No worries. And thank you, Adam. I'll, I'll speak to you. you both soon. Thanks, guys. Shut up and sit down. And it's time for this week's hate of the week. We love to hate. We do. And a lot. Lee. Yeah. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? You can go first this time, mate. Yeah. Switch it up a bit. Yeah. Because I hate to go first sometimes. Yeah, I, I hate people to go first. That's my hate. <laughs> I hate. Yeah. Adverts that pop up randomly in online videos. Oh, yeah. That's you know what a, I mean? Uh, the ones beforehand yeah. I can cope with because you can just yeah. click out of them. But then you watch something, you think, this is really interesting. Then you just get to a good bit and then suddenly an advert pops up yeah. that you can't do anything about. And like, yeah. if you can't straight out of it, it says click out in 20 seconds or something. Yeah, and yeah, you get yeah. so off with it. That you just try and you think, yeah, I'm I'm going to ignore this warning that's telling me I can't click out of it. I can definitely click out of this if I try hard enough, and you end up <laughs> clicking out of the entire video, and then you can't find a video again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's got to be the worst thing ever. It's like this was really interesting. I didn't have the patience to wait 20 seconds for this ad to end. Yeah. So now I've lost a video to never be seen again. I've done that so many times. I've never seen the end of those videos. And you're that engrossed in it as well. You've got yeah. so focused in it and you're that engrossed in it and that shit pop-up ad comes up. Yeah, or I'm like working out. Yeah. And like I've got my phone on on my thing because I can't go to the gym at the moment. I've got this like home uh, cross trainer. So I've got like a, a holder for a phone that sticks to a windscreen of a car. Yeah. And I've stuck that on the little tiny screen that there is on this cross trainer <laughs> to hold my phone. Right, yeah, just holds it in like these claw things, yeah. And so it's quite, it's all right, I can watch it on this, not bad. But whenever I try and mess around with it, it potentially will come unstuck, yeah. I'm on the floor in the middle of my workout, and I've got to stop and pick everything up and lick the thing again <laughs> and stick it back on, and all that. Bugs. And this would never happen if I could just find like a 45 minute or wherever long I'm going to do video that I want to watch, yeah. But then ads pop up and ruin it all. Yeah. And then when I try and click out the ads, the ad fucking goes off. Oh, you can't click out of this ad. I told you you couldn't click out of it no matter what you try and do. <laughs> seconds, and then you can click out of the ad. And it's basically, the phone's basically giving me the fucking middle finger. You cunt. I told you you couldn't do it and you're still fucking trying. You impatient prick. Yeah. And I try all this stuff and eventually I get so fucked off with it trying to find the video again that it comes unstuck, falls on the floor. I've got to stop the machine, get off, pick everything up again, try and find the video, can't find it again. <laughs> I hate that. 
Yeah, I could I could see why you hate it. I don't like ads. They piss me off. It's always irrelevant. Where are they getting this information from me from? You're supposed to ads that are relevant. Do you want ads that are relevant? You, why are you te- why are you giving me a hairdresser's then? I haven't got any hair. <laughs> How's that relevant for me? I can do the hairdressers at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that was my hate. Yeah. Lee? Right, mine. My hate of the week, Matt, mm. is uh, small <laughs> clothes and shorts. Do you know why? What do you mean by small clothes? Right, small clothes. So I'll go online to order some clothes and I'll order my size, right? And you go to the size chart and everything. Now, they call these European sizes. Right. The, the people listening to this didn't see me do my, uh, my quotation marks with my fingers. No, especially the ones in Singapore. Yeah, yeah. Because they clicked off after yeah. 30 seconds. <laughs> stay listening, Singapore. You've yeah. got to stay listening. You don't know what you're missing. Fingers in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll go on a like, size charts, and I'll order a couple of bits. I'll put them in my basket, straight in my basket and all that. And uh, then I'll go to another thing, order my size again, go into a size chart, and it's like four inches, five inches difference from what the other thing was. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, why can't, like, if I want to order a large T-shirt, mm. why can't large be universal size? Yeah, exactly. I agree. Why does it have to be a different large? Oh, no, that's not large. Or And especially on a certain um, shopping uh, app, it will say... Um, uh, like the, the, give it a percentage out of how it fit, and it come it will come up uh, small fit. Yeah. How can it be small fit? Yeah. When What's it's the size? large. Exactly. Why not universal? Like, or some yeah. people you go to the same company and you say, yeah. right, I order that t-shirt extra large, right? Yeah. And it comes on. Oh, that's that's quite a bag. That's a decent fit. I like that. I'll get another one of them. Yeah. Extra large. That's a really good fit. They send you yeah. another one. Exactly the same t-shirt too tight yeah how can yeah. that happen yeah it's like I, I'll give you an example when I, I was uh, shopping in um, Essex Lakeside once Lakeside and I went into like especially this goes to this one one brand of clothing super dry yes right and I'm I'm picking out this t-shirt other, other brands right, are I'll, available I love super yeah, dry I, I, yeah I'll I'll try this T-shirt on and I'll go to the fitting room and I'll put it on and it'll be like it's painted on. Yeah, super dry come up very small. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. And I was like, fuck here now. And I'll bring them all out, feel yeah. totally ashamed. Look at this fat bastard. But you, but you can get oversized things from there. That, yeah. uh, that, that are very, very fucking baggy. You don't seem to be able to get an in-between. Like I bought a coat. <laughs> I bought a coat from there, uh, sort of November time, I think, maybe October. Yeah. And it, and and I normally get like an extra large or, or a double XL even on a T-shirt sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, just to have it kind of comfortable. Yeah. This shirt, I think I bought it, uh, this coat, I think I bought a large. And it yeah. hangs off me, absolutely hangs off me. It is fucking <laughs> enormous. I cannot make yeah. it out at all. Yeah. 
See, this is what I mean as well. And and in, in relation to uh, small clothes, Matt, general small clothes, shorts. Yeah. yeah. Right. I've always been a bit of a chunky monkey all my life. So, like, chunky love. Got, uh, chunky love. Do you remember chunky love? There <laughs> you do. And they call her Chunky Love. <laughs> do you remember that? No. Oh, come on. It's a bird you was eyeing up at Butley. Years ago, Chunky Love. I, I'm denying. All right. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I've got big legs. And so, like, when I wear shorts, uh, I don't like, like, the knee, knee length shorts. So I kind of like, do you remember Mr. Dismore in school? Yes. Dismore shorts. I like Dismore shorts. Right. Dizzy. They were all skin tight then. Not really skin tight, but they're short shorts, didn't they? They was like, like he had him and, and Mr. Dale would have. Yeah. Uh, was it Dale? That was always chatting up the science woman with the legs. Oh yeah, like Mr. Dale would walk, walk when the girls are doing PE. Walk. But it always walk. their shorts would always be look at my bollocks shorts. Yeah. Yeah. There's that there's that shorts and I don't like the knee length shorts, Matt. I like short shorts, mm. right? So, but I've had these shorts for about two years and they got holes in. But when I go to buy other shorts, I hate that fucking meshy shit in them. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I always wear them for to the gym. Yeah, but do you know what I do with the mesh? Not, not, not. Will you rip it out? I will cut it out. Yeah. Yeah. They're good for swimming shorts or gym shorts for me. Yeah. But I wouldn't wear them uh, like socially. You know what I mean? I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't go out. I always wear like denim shorts or but there's I wore denim shorts in Florida and I was melting absolutely fucking. Oh melting. yeah, that's that that's the thing. It's like when you're in a hot country like here or as you say, you go go to Florida, it's mm. like evening wear is like tailored shorts. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But daytime wear, because you're sweating your ass off all fucking day, it's like you you want to wear as less material as you can. Yeah. So you go for like the really thin t-shirts or the really like small shorts or thin shorts because it's just too hot. Yeah. Like to wear and like like Cyprus where you are. Whenever I used to go there, I used to only wear like this really thin, like. I can't remember what the kind of material it is, like with the pockets and shit, like really, really thin, 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 thin trousers and shorts. Yeah. Like the thinnest um, thing you could ever. Yeah. Like, um, linen. Yeah. 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 So the thing is, mate, is you've got, you've got to wear that sort of stuff here because you just melt otherwise. I know. I don't think I'd own I, a pair remember, of jeans if I lived like, in Cyprus. And it's all yeah. I wear. Well, sorry, what was that? All I wear is jeans, but I don't think I'd even own a pair if I lived in Cyprus. I've I've got jeans. I've got jeans like what we would wear like um, if we can go out now, but we can't. No. <laughs> but, so you've just been um, slobbing it, around in shorts for like yeah. Month. But it's like in like June, July, August time, it's just you wear tailored shorts. Yeah. And make sure you wear tailored shorts that don't show sweat because like. <laughs> It's, oh, like, it's not making everyone puke. <laughs> yeah, you're dripping off your bollocks a lot. Oh, mate, I've, um, I've, I've, been, I've been to so, many, many a club and bar in, in like the height of the summer here. And it's nice. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a good sight sometimes. Yeah, that picture, that photograph of you with uh, that guy in Tenerife when you, when you, 
you just went over to the lips and the fingers. Yeah, and he was yeah. absolutely drenched from head to toe, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, that was disgusting. Oh, I still remember my. his face. Anyway, anyway, yeah. no one listening knows what the fuck I'm talking about unless it's facts <laughs> or something. Um, right, so that was your hate. So what was your specific hate? Because we went off and then your hate was clothes that come up too small. <laughs> yeah, clothes that come up it's too small. Tight. tight clothes, ain't uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. Not I don't anyway. mind wearing like fitted clothes, but when they're like too tight. Yeah, when, you, when you're living there, tight clothes ain't the best, are they? Yeah. No. And, and, and when you go out for a meal or something like that and you've had a big meal and you think, yeah. like, like, I'm really uncomfortable now. Yeah. All right. So, uh, adverts that break up things or tight clothes? Uh, I think I, I could have won this one this time, though. I think you might. Yeah, because I know you don't like tight clothes. No, I don't. I really don't. I got, <laughs> in, in the heat, I'm, all I'm picturing is in the middle of summer. If you but like whenever I get a, the, the, the disappointment on my face when I order a t-shirt because it was cheap online and it's one yeah. that I want and it comes up small, even though it's the same size as every other t-shirt I own, which is a wardrobe full of the fuckers. Yeah, and I just think I can't wear that. It's too st- and, and and I know that I will never slim that much to get into that even if i get one of my proper skinny phases that will still be too small for me yeah yeah and it's there's no need you win (laughs) yes small clothes your your first victory i believe yes it's 2-1 now isn't it 2-1 i don't know we're about eight aren't we something like that yeah i think i've slightly got the edge yeah you have cut from drawers anyway thanks again lee no worries mate and no worries, mate. And I'll see your <laughs> Australian ass later. <laughs> see you later, mate. It's a win. It's nice to win every now and then, isn't it, Lee? I don't know why I'm asking him, any. Yeah, but that was good. I really, really enjoyed that interview with Adam today. And um, he's going to be on, I'm sure, in the future, talking about all the other different aspects around that conspiracy. And he seems to have some theories of his own. So he didn't just come on to, like, trash what everybody's saying and, and agree with the mainstream media narrative. He came on to kind of give his own opinion based on his own research for 20 years or however long he's been looking into it. But yeah, that was really good. So hopefully we'll see him again soon. And I don't want to talk anymore because this has been a really, really long podcast and there's really no need for me to say anything. If you've got any feedback, any questions or any topic ideas at Matt Chat Podcast or at Matt Guna or at Jabs underscore Lee all on the Twitter and we'll see you next time see you later